Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Good. Well, hello and welcome to Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni and this is the 28th episode. Each week we discuss the game concepts and explore the news on all the big topics that matter to you. And we also bring you the very best of the Australian games industry. Uh, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mitch and Scott. Hello, hello. Hey. James is making the Twitch video work. And this week we're joined by Jason Imms via Skype. He's the founder of the Tasmanian Game Dev Society, a game journalist who writes for Killscreen and Kotaku. And he joins us for this episode today. How are you going, Jason? Hello, thank you very much for having me. I'm going very well, thank you. What about yourself? Pretty good, actually. Yeah, not too bad. So we'll be getting into talking all about uh, the Tasmanian game dev scene. Um, But before that, we will be jumping into our other topics. Yeah, earlier this week, a fan-run World of Warcraft server was shut down and the users are pretty mad. Was this justified? And also with traditional media outlets on the downward spiral and streaming services on the rise, what does the future hold for gaming journalism? All that and more coming up on this week's episode of Pixel Sift. You're listening to Pixel Sift. Or you might be watching Pixel Sift on Twitch. Pixel Sift. Jason Imms is a game developer and a journalist, and he's the founder of the Tasmanian Game Development Society. Jason is on the line via Skype. Jason, you started the Taz GDS after the Free Play Festival in Melbourne, which is a festival for indie games. What inspired you to kind of pull the Tasmanian game devs together? Uh, well, I, I was hugely inspired by Free Play. It, it was it's a wonderful festival, and I highly recommend it. Uh, when they actually announce something for this year, um, I highly recommend attending. Um, I was really, really inspired by the fact that they have all of these games-related arts events happening around Melbourne that aren't just being pitched to games-related people. Um, there were people, members of the public getting involved and having a great time. And, and I was really taken by that. Um, so I really want to bring some of that home because back here in Tassie, there just was little to no conversation happening around games at all. Uh, so that was the catalyst for the idea. I wanted to, to do games stuff in Tasmania. Um, but before I did that and got involved with flying people down from other parts of the country or whatever, I thought I should probably find out who's here. <laughs> uh and and get them involved as well. Uh, and so I started just reaching out on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, and all of a sudden, we had a, a significant number of people wanting to get involved. Um, and now we're a year later, and we've got 180 members in the Facebook community. Um, some of those are from interstate who are just interested in what we're doing, but the vast majority of them are here. They're making games. Some of them are doing so um, in a very professional context. Uh, and it, it's very, very exciting to see it all happening. You were talking to us uh, a little bit before the interview about 
you know, the uh, some high-profile game developers are actually working in Tasmania using the uh, the infrastructure there to kind of telecommute their uh, work to the world. That's right. When I when I came back to Tassie, I, I you know I, I initially thought Australia is very much an independent. Uh, country now, all of, all of the game development happening in Australia for the most part is indie, uh, and so I, I made assumptions about that when I came back for Tas GDS, and then all of a sudden, uh, out of the woodwork came someone who was one of the founding members of Infinity Ward. Um, he was there when the when the company started, and he's been there ever since. Uh, he works in Kingston, which is about a twenty minute drive from my house, uh, and he moved back to Tasmania from the US uh, to be with his family and and or his extended family that are here. Uh, once the NBN rolled out here, and it became a viable option for him. Was the Tasmanian game uh, industry organising at all before TasGDS kind of came together? Were there any small level jams or anything that were happening, and you know, or was it very kind of segregated? And what you know, was the community like before kind of you came along? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I I certainly didn't uh, create the games industry here in Tasmania. That's happening. It's it, it was happening before I was around. Um, I would, I just quite simply didn't pay attention to it. Uh, that is because, again, much like many other people, I made assumptions about Tasmania and, and I dismissed it, uh, and that sucks. Uh, I feel bad about it, and so I'm pleased to see things starting to happen. There were there were certainly things happening, but they were mostly happening in microcosm. That that's actually uh, pretty. Oh, sorry, that's actually pretty similar to the situation we have here in Perth. People just mm. aren't really aware that things are being made, and they're actually being made well. Yeah, well, Play Out Perth is something I'm very I'm looking at from afar th- with with envy. I would like to see something like that happening here in Tasmania if we can get it together. Uh, well, um, yeah, sorry. sorry just to answer your question, mm. there there are uh, there were people running game jams themselves, like within studios, just doing game jams to to help generate ideas and things like that. But there wasn't anything happening in a larger context for the for the the group community. So that's something we've we've really tried to build over the last twelve months. I mean, what are some of the best things that you've seen kind of come out of this new community that you've kind of got, you know, in the last year or so as it sort of all comes together? Well, so we, we have a monthly meetup where we all get together. Uh, it's Well, I say monthly. I've dropped the ball a couple of times. We've missed some months uh, just through being busy. But for the most part, we meet once a month. Uh, and those have just begun be, uh, being not just social. So we're starting to have some content-related meetups where we're, we're having people within the community doing talks or seminars or workshops. Uh, and whenever people come to visit who are games industry-related, we, we usually approach them and ask them to come and get involved as well, which is really exciting. Um, and we also run Taz Jam, which is our our game, our big game jam uh, that we run down here. Uh, it's a statewide game jam. Uh, both times we've run it, we've had venues in Hobart and Launceston, so in the north of the state, uh, but being involved and working simultaneously. Um, so the last one had about 120 attendees across the state, which I'm told rivals some of the bigger jams in other cities around the world. Um, we had some of our members at the International Conference of Game Jams at UC Berkeley during GDC this year. And they they learned that our attendance numbers actually are, are pretty similar to those larger cities. And that's really, really exciting for us and a big surprise, to be honest. I mean, what is it, do you think, that has, has kind of fostered this sort of, uh, you know, budding game industry where you've got these big turnouts for these events and it's still not being on the map for people? Have people just been, you know, chipping away in the background? and Or is there a problem with kind of uh, advocacy for the Tasmanian uh, games industry? Is that something you guys are interested in doing? Absolutely. I think it's I think it's both, to be honest. I think uh, much like the assumptions that I made, the very silly and unfair assumptions that I made about Tasmania, uh, the people who are down here perhaps, and I'm, I'm putting words in their mouths, but I suspect they were just working away in isolation because they felt like there wasn't another option for them. Uh, and that, that sucks. People don't have to be in Melbourne or be in Sydney or be in Brisbane to be able to make video games in this country. You can make games anywhere. You can make excellent games anywhere, and you should. You should try and create new communities where you are. 
Uh, right, it, it's always good to go and visit other communities and get involved over there. Maybe you go over there for a year or two and you, you see what they're doing and you bring those ideas and you steal them wholesale and you embed them in your own home context. Well, that's, that's creative culture, isn't it? Right. You take ideas from other people and you rework it and uh, go from there. Exactly. There's no point reinventing the wheel. you just got to make it fit the roads where you are. That's Sorry, I messed up that. <laughs> uh, you mentioned a couple of the other uh, sort of, I guess, centres for game development. And Melbourne is not actually that far from Tasmania. Um, nope. You don't have the Nullarbor, which is uh, separating West Australia from uh, Victoria like we do. Um, True. What, do you have, what, do, what can you do to kind of stop people just jumping across Bass Strait and uh, you know, moving to a greener dead pastures? I mean, the reality is that that happens, and it happens with uh, startling frequency. Our, um, our University of Tasmania has a game development course, which is full pretty much every year, um, and there aren't a huge number of those people who are sticking around, and that's something we want to change. So TasGDS is one part of that. We want to make Tasmania a much more attractive location. The other part is going to be advocating our industry to local government and to federal government um, more broadly to try and make it a more appealing place to be. I mean, my, my ultimate dream would be to see a co-working space happen here, much like the arcade, something very attractive for game developers. Um, and you add that to the fact that it's a relatively low cost of living here. It's quite beautiful and, and pleasant to be here. And if you need to get on a plane to go to Melbourne, it takes like 45 minutes to fly over there. So th those things are all very, very attractive to me. And I think it would be a really, really big win for Tasmania if we could say, hey, this game studio that was based on the mainland somewhere uh, up stumps and moved to Tasmania because it's rad here. That would be a really, really big and very exciting thing for us, and it would feel like a victory. It, it, it would seem that Melbourne's reputation seems to just overshadow everything else in Australia. And um, I think maybe, thing, do you think maybe Melbourne should maybe turn it down a bit? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> so, Stealing up all I, the fame. I, yeah. I've definitely seen this sentiment coming from a lot of places. I mean, Freeplay was a really good example of it. Uh, there were a lot of people at Freeplay who had travelled for the event who felt that it was too Melbourne-centric. Um, and I think that's uh, indicative of the broader conversation that we're having. Um, yeah, Freeplay is very Melbourne-centric. That's fine. That's It's very Victoria-centric, I should say. And that's fine because it's made by Victorians who are in Victoria and they primarily deal with people who are in Victoria because that's their local context. So it makes sense for it, that to be reflected in the the volunteer-run organisation. Um, and more broadly, Melbourne is making big waves. Some really, really big releases have come out of Melbourne recently uh, and, and they're obvious, so I don't need to go through them. Obviously, Crossy Road is one of them. Um, they have a reasonable amount of government funding through the screen program in Film Victoria, um, which we don't get to, to boast in other states. Uh, but that's not the be-all and end-all. I think it's just that there are a lot of game developers there. And when you collect game developers together, they can collaborate more broadly. They can they can learn from one another. They can grow from one another. And that builds a better community. That builds a better industry in that local area. And so we need to start seeing this happening in other, in other parts of the country as well. We need to learn from Melbourne, go over there and collaborate with people from Melbourne and come back and make excellent things elsewhere. And you mentioned collaboration there. Now, Tasmania is known for its fantastic arts scene. Um, and you talked about uh, the Free Play Festival kind of bringing in people who aren't particularly game-focused um, but bringing in other sort of contexts. Is that something you'd like to see happen in Tasmania? Yeah, yeah. We, we had our first run at that not too long ago. So Tasjam is one of them. Um, we, we speak pretty broadly uh, on media down here on the radio with ABC and uh, in the Mercury newspaper trying to let people know what, what Tasjam is. But it's definitely a little, you know, it's not super approachable for people that don't make games generally. Uh, we're trying to change that. 
um, we also ran a party with with your locals, SK Games. Louis came over here with us and um, helped us run an event, which we build as games as art. So we we, we basically treated it like a, an art exhibition that had a bar and loud music. Um, there we and go. That's the way. All of all of the art that was on display was were, were games. It was all interactive, and we had a good two three hundred people come through the room that night. It was a it was a really positive experience, and it, the vast majority of them weren't already members of the TAS Game Development Society. So we had we had older people, we had we had parents with babies strapped to them, we had young kids coming through. It was a, a really, really fun experience. Well, it's fantastic to hear that, um, you know, game development is happening outside of uh, some of the bigger capital cities in Australia. It's something very close to our heart and we're very excited about. Uh, Jason, we'll get you to stick around. We're going to have a talk about some other topics as well um, today and uh, we'll, we'll jump into some of those now. Sounds good. Did you know Pixel Ziv is available on other platforms? You can find previous episodes on iTunes, Pocket Casts, YouTube, and on the Pixel Ziv website. Yeah, so Nostarius was a fan-created World of Warcraft server that allowed players to experience the game as it appeared in its earliest of days. But yeah, Blizzard has now shut it down. And although this is not the first time something like this has happened... It does beg the question, if developers will not cater for nostalgia, who will? So Interesting thing about this story here is that basically the the lawyers over at Blizzard um, sort of sent out a a cease and desist. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're using our intellectual property. um, And the the people who are running the server kind of said, all right, well, that's it. We better better close it up while we still can. But there was a big sort of argument for people who are asking for a particular type of content from, uh, from Blizzard, especially of World of Warcraft. Where they, uh, you know, are not currently getting that, or, or you know, nostalgia is a big part of what they're they're going for. It it just seems like people really want that experience to be in their lives because that's how they entered the world and they want that back. It is the unfortunate side of uh, like MMOs. You can't just jump back into your old console and play, you know, your nostalgia games. You don't have the support kind of there. I mean, and let's put this into perspective. Uh, this legacy server uh, had about 150,000 active members uh, and about a total of 800,000 ca- uh, accounts created. That's compared to, say, Blizzard's subscriptions. I guess the, the last stats they gave us anyway, that was still around 5.5 million. So in the big scheme of things, this isn't a huge thing for them. And it's more of a kind of a, a, a nuisance, if anything. And I can see why they've gone this path. Because, you know, as much as they're, you know, uh, supplying the legacy servers would be great and integrating it into their current kind of support system. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, gain there for them, I guess. I think well, to be fair, that's that's almost a fifth of their active accounts. That's not an insignificant number. Mm. But but uh, it sounds like it's uh, saying eight hundred thousand accounts created is a bit misleading there, because like I said, that's mm. uh, that's only one hundred fifty thousand active members. Mm. That, yeah, but say, that's an account an account costs money, right? So mm. if they were to if those eight hundred thousand and they wouldn't be, but if those eight hundred thousand accounts were to be created on on actual live servers that that Blizzard runs, that that's a significant amount of money. Yeah, absolutely, mm. that is true. There would be a lot of people who would be playing the game effectively because it doesn't cost money, and that'd that would be part of the reason yeah. why. Yep. Um, so you may not see a hundred. This is this is all the always the argument we talk about with with um, piracy and and all that sort of thing. Yeah. That you know maybe a lost sale is not always someone using your thing. Maybe that person was never going to be a customer to start with. And it's um, hard to create like legitimate stats to hold against it because of that very reason. Mm. I think also coming from a creative perspective, Blizzard is has created. I mean, it's in the name of the game. It's the world, and the world progresses in the sense that, you know, a real world progresses, and that's kind of what it's all about. It, things happen that, aren't, aren't, that can't be undone, well, and, it's, 
and it's a persistent world. Yeah, I mean, uh, and they, they need, the, yeah. them as a company, they want everyone playing on the latest World of Warcraft because that's you know where their development's focused. Um, but you know, the problem there is they have to, they would have to create so much extra support for like just this small mm. customer service base. And like like you said originally, eight hundred thousand is pretty high compared to five million. But I can't see it actually getting to that figure. I don't think there's that do many you, people. Do you think they would expect the users of these of a vanilla server, for lack of a better term? Do you think they would expect maybe a lesser rate, or like a not a full, uh, like a maybe like a half price account? Do you think they would expect that kind of thing? There's a really interesting example now. One of the other uh, MMOs that's probably been going for you know uh, probably the other big notable one really um, is RuneScape, and they actually brought out a a legacy sort of server, yeah. effectively using the old style RuneScape stuff. And they still, for people who want to play that particular version, they still put content into that and keep the they mechanics. They actually do, the, yeah, which is yeah. actually pretty impressive um, and really interesting. Um, someone asked at uh, BlizzCon uh, a couple of years ago whether. Uh, Blizzard would be interested in that. And uh, J. Allen Brack, uh, one of the developers oh, at buddy. Blizzard, uh, <laughs> had something uh, pretty uh, pointed to say about this. No. And, and by the way, you don't want to, that, to do that either. You think you do, but you don't. Remember when you had to, like, spam cities and say, need a tank, need a tank, need a tank during the Burning Crusade days? You don't remember that because now you just push a button that says go to the dungeon. You don't want to do that. I think there's a point there to be made. You know, like hindsight is a hell of a thing. And you always look back on things with fond memories. Um, but maybe the reality wasn't quite as smooth as it really is in your mind. Rose-colored glasses. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. I think it's interesting that they could have a, a mix with it. Some of like Jagex can, can do the RuneScape legacy and the most recent stuff as well. So there is obviously... And as you said, Jason, there is... 150,000 active users is a significant number, and there are definitely WoW servers out there which have much lower active users than that. Mm. Um, you know, they, they, perhaps they could have converted one of those. To, I understand but, you don't want to splinter your player base, but you know, as a free uh, fan server like Nostalarius, like they get a lot of they get away with a lot of you know uh, bugs and issues, and that's expected out of the free server. But if it was to go to legitimate, there's a, there's a lot more work from Blizzard, and a lot more expected of them as a developer. Absolutely. I mean, my position on it is is Blizzard owns the the IP, so they have the right it's, it's, to, yeah. to to take down these these servers that are potentially damaging their business. Whether that's a significant damage or a, or a large damage or a small amount of damage doesn't matter. That they own their IP, and if if they weren't so massive, if they weren't Blizzard, we wouldn't perhaps be so forgiving of people doing this. Like if someone took a game that was being made by a small indie studio that was struggling to exist and changed it some. And then kept took it as their own and, and stole that profit away from that smaller business. We would not perhaps be so charitable. I don't think there yeah. seems to be a yeah. bit of a perception with this sort of thing that people don't have you know the same sort of expectation for large game companies who still have you know people you know sometimes hundreds of people working on this thing, putting their their heart and soul into these yeah, projects. If not more people, if know, not well, more, well, well, mm. usually. And um and we see it with like people with you know large record labels and and movie industry and lots of other industries where you know the big mechanical like the machinations of the whole thing seems to kind of you know sort of I don't know people just don't put the same value in it for some reason because well, it loses that yeah. person uh, personal side I guess mm. um, with indie games you can usually relate it to a couple of people whereas with a, a place like Blizzard it's just Blizzard it's the word it becomes a logo and a sign a symbol but then again re- Jay Allen Brack said that. So yeah. Yeah. he's yeah. kind of brought it back down and then, but then again, he did say this back in 2013. So 
Let's make this very clear. This is not a recent quote mm. from him in the grand scheme of things. But yes. Well, let's stand back and look at it from a larger context as well. We live in a consumer society. We live in a, in a commercial society where money is definitely something that is needed. And if these people are playing this game in this in this legacy context because they love it. They love it so much and they don't want it to change and they adore it and so they're not paying for it. That just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Like if, if you really love this thing and you want it to, to persist, you want the company that made it to go on to make bigger and better things, you need to pay for it. Pay for your content, people. Like you've mm-hmm. got to, yeah, it, yep. it's frustrating. No, you, you and are. to Blizzard's credit as well, like one of the most recent expansions, Warlords of Draenor, had a lot of cues to the older style Mm. Um, World of Warcraft that people would remember again with the newer mechanics and updating it for a, you know an audience that has actually evolved and a games industry that has evolved as well but took a lot of that thematic cues and, and ideas and, and kind of tried to incorporate that so mm. and, and to be fair I used to play on a on a uh, non-standard community run Ultima online server I'm a very old man um, and it, it was a huge amount of fun. I put a lot of time into it. And the people that ran it did a lot of work. They created entirely customized environments and entirely customized quests and things for us to run as a community. Uh, like my favorite was they they built a whole castle level and we were allowed to use scripting. So our characters were all, all as powerful as they could be. Uh, and they teleported us all into this castle and they stripped us of everything. We had nothing. And so we had to then bring our crafting uh, characters over as well and they had to make new gear for us on the spot within a time frame before the walls all crumbled and monsters came rushing in we had to see which clan uh, or whatever we were called back then gosh I can't remember now uh, how long we could last and and the the winner would get some kind of benefit out of it it was a really really cool thing Uh, but we weren't paying for it and eventually it got shut down and that was just kind of the way it was the original Ultima Online is not what we wanted anymore we wanted this new thing that was made but that game doesn't exist and None of us have the money to make it, and so it's just lost to time. There are lots of people who go on and you know make mods of things, and and you know, and then they turn up into things like you know League of Legends, for example, which becomes yeah. a huge thing. Um, and you know, people who start working in this sort of area can go on and and, and make other stuff. It's almost like the emergence of remix culture in video games. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. All right, let's just jump into our next topic right now. Pixel Civ. It's not Pixel Civ. It's Pixel Sift. So, while the gaming industry seems to be in a bigger spotlight than possibly ever, and with gaming technology reaching new levels of engagement, the future of games is seemingly strong and promising. Yet, game media seems to be in an unsure state of flux on one side of the fence, with almost a dozen recent shutdowns of gaming press from Xbox World to official Nintendo magazine. We have countless internet game and Twitch streamers growing every day on the other. It's easy to see why the games journalists are asking serious questions about their future. This brings us to the question. What is the future of games journalism? It's not just games journalists. If you see all the stuff that's coming out of Fairfax just about every <laughs> week at the moment, it seems like everyone in just has to relearn everything they're doing. And there are a lot of upstarts who are kind of challenging um, people for, you know, yeah, for, what, like, for being the voice of these particular thing and the outlet that people go to. Well, citizen journalists in general over the last, mm. let's even say, 10 years have really been on the growth. And yeah, the traditional print presses and, and general traditional forms of media have been on the decline in general. Um, it's just, I feel it's really starting to hit the games industry now in a strange time where, like I said, the games industry seems to be maybe at one of its best points or it's at least commercially acceptable points. Now, Jason, you write for a traditional magazine in Hyper Magazine, um, but you're also across some of the newer online 
media outlets. How has everything sort of changed and what are some of the things that you have noticed are changing in, in the way that you're filing your stories now? Uh, I, I guess the way I see it is that uh, games as an industry and technology as an industry moves extremely quickly. And so I think the changes that we're seeing, the the shutdowns and the shifts and the moves to video and all the rest of it, I think those things that we're seeing are all natural changes that would have come in time if the industry wasn't so fast. We're just seeing them happening in a more condensed time frame. Um, so that, that's kind of one perspective that I have on it. Um, the other is that uh, things come and go. Things just change and you have to roll with them. I've I, When I started, my first ever gig was with Tested.com, working with Whiskey, Whiskey Media. Um, and that was wonderful. They gave me a start. They taught me everything. And then all of a sudden after, oh gosh, I was there for about a year and a half, um, Whiskey Media split up and the companies were all sold off to other companies and they didn't maintain the freelancers. They, they, they decided to, to keep it all in-house after that uh, and bring other, other freelancers on. And that's, that was really disappointing. And that taught me a lesson. I shouldn't put all my eggs in one basket. I should try and diversify and have multiple publications. And I learned from that. And it really hurt. I loved Tested, really loved Tested and still do to this day. And it's better now than it was back then, but I miss it. Um, but it, it taught me that I needed to, to change how I approach this job if I want to keep it. Uh, and so I've, I've been doing that ever since. And, and as, as of the last uh, three or four months, I've been full-time freelance. Um, and that is because of these lessons that I've learned from every failure in the past. So, you know, these things suck. It, it is really awful that these publications that we know and love are, are closing down. But also the people involved with them will probably pick themselves back up and do something else. Uh, whether they continue with journalism or move into another role is up to them. But the, the world, world is about change. Life is about change. And, and I, I guess we just need to roll with it. I guess the people that can't adapt and refuse to, I guess you don't really want them commenting on the, the media you like anyway. I guess. Yeah. And then they true. just fizzle out. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, there's, there's all this talk about moving to video and, and if you're not getting into video, you're you're going to be left behind. I can't say whether that's true or not. Um, it's podcasts. Fact, it's, podcasts are the way of the future. That's yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. sticking with. Switch, switch streamed podcasts yeah. are the way of the future. Yeah. Um, the, when I, my feeling is like I, I just don't have the time or inclination right now to move into video for, my, for myself. I would like to. I think it's really interesting. Um, but it, it costs a huge amount of time to create something that you can get paid for uh, than the work that I'm doing now. And the reality of my current lifestyle is I need to, to, to try and make a bit of money to pay my mortgage, right? So I'm, I'm going to do what I can do. And if that means that in five or six or 10 years time, I can't do this anymore, so be it. I mean, I've had a great time while I've been doing it um, and I'll, um, I'll just have to find something else to do. What do you think about uh, you know the fact that anyone who can you know has a has a studio and has some microphones and some some scripts can r- write and put together their own podcast and their own media outlets? Settle down, Johnny. Yeah. Settle down. <laughs> you know, but you know, we're seeing people like uh, PewDiePie, which is a huge force in in game sort of media now, and there's mm-hmm. a lots of other big Twitch streamers as well. And you know, companies are going to to them first now to to share their their content rather than going to some of the mastheads that people would have previously gone to. What do you, what do you think about that? Should are people going to be able to to get on this bandwagon uh, as it's as it's leaving? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's already pretty big, so there's probably not going to be another PewDiePie. I suspect someone that's operating at that that amount of uh, that larger following. Um, there are more and more people doing this every day, as you say. So that means it's getting increasingly harder for people to get in on the ground. 
so that means you need to do the normal traditional things of, of getting yourself out there and networking and, and getting to know people uh, and relationships create opportunities, right? So rather than going to events and, and walking up to people with resumes and business cards, you're better off just getting to know people. Um, and that, I guess that's true for, for anything you want to do, whether it's whether it's getting into streaming or or, or getting into more traditional stuff like what I do. Um, the, if you can get to know people, they will create opportunities for you. That's just that's just the way people work. People are relational beings, uh, and it's it's not about nepotism or anything like that. It's just about getting to know the right people in the right places who can help you and collaborate with you and help you to grow into positions in the future. And by getting so to know people, you kind of get an idea of who's a good operator and who you can rely on and, you know, who you should exactly. stick your neck out for, basically. Exactly. I mean, that's the whole reason I go to PAX every year. PAX is really fun. I have a great time. But also, I live here in Tasmania and I'm the only games journalist here, to my knowledge. So I can't exactly go to networking events with my colleagues at home. I have to travel to do that. And that's just part of it. Uh, and again, I just had to roll with that change and, and go ahead and do it. I think one of the strengths of the, you know, these streams, the, the, the Twitch, and even like say Reddit or something as a source of information for this, is that uh, generally instead of being traditional journalists for the foremost, these are more like, I guess, gaming uh, niche kind of experts and therefore mm. the respect from the community is already there. Um, yeah. And it's with, in, on, in the, under the wake of like uh, Gamergate and stuff, I guess the trust for traditional forms of journalism for gamers just isn't really high. I don't know about that. People have always said journalists are, you know, yeah, we always... pretty untrustworthy and things like that. But I think there's a real opportunity for for traditional journalists who aren't going to be operating under the whole we're going to be doing, you know, five cents on a Twitch stream sort of thing and value mm. add to what this is and have the analysis um, and the, the backgrounding and the contacts to get people to actually talk about this sort of stuff. You know, Joe Bloggs, uh, Twitch streamer, isn't going to be able to get Jay Allen Brack on, on the line. No. But someone who's got a relationship with someone at Blizzard and Activision might be able to have that happen. Yeah, so. no, uh, yeah you're right. I do feel like this streaming does have, it is at a point at the moment anyway where it does have a, a, a limit, I guess. Mm. Uh, and hopefully we see kind of some kind of change there, I guess. Yeah. Or, you know, the I, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> I think they're we inherently different things. Scott, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they're inherently different things. Like I, I, I quite. A, I'll be honest. I don't watch a huge number of streamers, um, just b by virtue of the way my life is set up at the moment. Busy, busy. Um, so I don't really sit down and watch live videos when they're happening. And once the archive is up, I don't know. It doesn't feel as as important. I guess once it's been archived, does does that make sense? Like yeah, it, absolutely. it, it just, it, it feels like if you're not there while it's live. Uh, then you, you, you're missing out on something. And, and so that generally means for me, if I can't be there at the right time, I'm not going to bother. Um, so I just haven't. Uh, and last year at PAX, I um, hosted a talk with a bunch of YouTubers and streamers. Um, and, and I was a bit taken aback when I was approached to, to, to host that one because I mentioned to them that I don't watch a huge number of them. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of be a bit of a proxy for the audience who might have questions. And, and one of the things I really wanted to hit on was how do how how are you protected as a streamer? How are you protected from the PR companies who want to use you? And maybe you want to be used, maybe you don't. But like one of the advantages I have as a, as a journalist is if a PR company comes to me and says, we want you to write this thing and, you know, here's some suggested angles you could use and, and or, you know, these are the reasons we're not giving you access to this information. Um, I can go to my editors and get help. I can get backup from them. Uh, and there are there are companies behind them who can who can back me as well. Whereas as a streamer, you're out there on your own. Like yeah. you don't know whether 
the information you're being given is just marketing speak or if it's accurate and 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 you need to make all those decisions yourself and do all that research yourself like it's it's kind of a scary frontier to me and and in on the internet you make one mistake and that can be the end of your career right yeah especially without um, that journalistic background of just knowing the general kind of how to yeah, I mean, that that's something you can learn. I mean, I've had to learn it. I don't have a journalistic background. I've only been doing this for six years and I, I didn't study for it. Um, uh, like that is something you can definitely learn and, and it's, it's something you will make mistakes on and get better at over time. But um, the yeah, it's just having the, having the, the organization behind you, I think, is the thing that, that I like. I like having that protection of an editor who will not only check on my work and make sure it's better than it would be if I'd written it just by myself, um, I also have them there to say, hey, this person's asked me to do this. Does, is that reasonable? It doesn't feel reasonable. Is that, what do you think? And I can get that kind of feedback. Um, I guess you can get that from community, right? Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, yeah. that's the thing is that, that fan-created stuff can always be, you know, everyone's hyped up for a game and it's part of the, the hype cycle. And sometimes mm. you need to have that step back and maybe that one person removed to kind of, you know, cast that lens over thing. I think that's always why it's valuable to, you know, run your run your stories past someone because you'll see, you won't see them silly mistakes that you've made, so... Yeah, Very. and I guess I, I guess the most important thing is always um, you you've got to disclose stuff. If you have a relationship that might have coloured your view on a subject, just make sure it's visible in the article or in the video or whatever it is. Um, if if you've got products in the background of your shot when you're on Twitch uh, that have been provided to you for free, um, that should probably or you should pr- at least make sure that you only have them behind you because you believe in them. Like if you actually mm. like that product and then you want to to share that with your viewers because you you are passionate about that product, um, then fine, that's that's totally fine. But if you've just got it behind you because it looks cool and it was given to you for free, uh, what are you really saying then? That's what, right. What what is that saying about you and your character? That's 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 the thing that scares me. You don't have that feedback loop from an editor who can say no, that's bad. Don't do that. Jason, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. Uh, thanks for telling us all about Taz GDS. Um, you can head to tazgds.com um, for more information. There is a Facebook group you can join as well, um, and you can take part and chat to all the people if you are making games in Tasmania or if you're just interested as well. As I, as I jumped in, I always check to like to check out to see what people are doing around the country. Um, it's been yeah, it's been great. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, as always, you can jump over to www.pixelsift.com.au uh, to check out all the notes and episodes. We'll stick up links to some of the uh, and some videos of some Tasmanian games as well up on our page there for this episode of the show. Scott, if people want to find us on social media, where should they head to? People, you can find us at facebook.com forward slash pixelsift, twitter.com forward slash pixelsift, twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift, and youtube.com forward slash pixelsiftau. And Mitch, if people want to listen to our other episodes, where should they head to? Yeah, you can check out our website, now with updated icons, uh, to stream the episodes. Subscribe to our podcast on either iTunes or Pocket Casts, or using the RSS link on the website. And if you could give us a rating and review, we would very much appreciate it. It always helps people find our show as well. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jason. And we will see you guys all again next week. Ciao. See ya. Thank you. 
If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 